All right, well, we're in Acts chapter 26. This is his uh, last time of uh, calling a defense before they ship him off. Verse 1 of chapter 26, And Agrippa said to Paul, You are permitted to speak for yourself. And, of course, this is after all the pomp and circumstance, getting Agrippa into the place and all the people who came along. So he's got quite an audience here right now. Uh, a lot of dignitaries, a lot of important people in the city are here, um, not because of Paul, but because of Agrippa. He's attracted a crowd. But they're going to hear Paul. So he says, you are permitted to speak for yourself. So Paul stretched out his hand and answered for himself. That's just a Roman custom, Roman to Roman. I think myself happy, King Agrippa, because today I shall answer for myself before you concerning all the things of which I am accused by the Jews. So he starts off, he says, I think myself happy. You would think that after two years of being in jail and all the riots and things that he's been through, that uh, Paul would be anything but happy. But he certainly gives us a lesson in this. He's been a prisoner for the two years. He's got all this persecution that has come his way. But he says, I think myself happy. I bet you he's probably happier than King Agrippa is. And King Agrippa is a free man and Paul is in chains. Our happiness is not about what is happening around us, but what is happening in us. We've learned that other places in the Bible, but certainly that's evident here. I think myself happy. King Agrippa, because today I shall answer for myself before you concerning all the things of which I am accused by the Jews, especially because you are an expert in all customs and questions which have to do with Jews. Therefore, I beg you to hear me patiently. So King Agrippa, being head over the Jewish area, the area of uh, Judah, he has become accustomed to the, or he has at least become familiar with the customs, the questions, the uh, Old Testament, he was uh, knowledgeable of the Old Testament. I can't say that he uh, certainly was on the level of Paul or any of the, um, the Jewish uh, folks, but he, he had a working knowledge of it all as he was going to be head over that area. He at least wanted to know what their customs, questions, practices, what their history was. And so he has a, a working knowledge of that. And Paul uh, uh, mentions that in his opening dialogue here. He asked him to hear him patiently. So he's, he wants him to be able to get on through all the things he wants to say and that they would listen and not uh, interrupt him or, or uh, keep interjecting with questions and so forth. He wants to be able to present the whole case. If you know that someone's going to listen to you patiently, you don't mind giving them the whole full story. Sometimes you try and talk to somebody about a, a thing and they keep interrupting you halfway through and you're never able to quite paint the whole picture of what's there. Sometimes they ask questions about things that you're, you're still trying to paint the picture of <laughs> and just not... not Letting you do it. So he says, hear me patiently. My manner of life from my youth, which was spent from the beginning among my own nation at Jerusalem, all the Jews know. He says, the Jews are familiar with me. I grew up here. From my youth, which was spent from the beginning among my own nation at Jerusalem, all the Jews know. So he grew up there in Jerusalem. They are all familiar with him from the time he was little to the time he is now. They knew me from the first, if they were willing to testify that according to the strictest sect of our religion, I lived a Pharisee. So Paul says he was a Pharisee, and in other parts of the it talks about him being a Pharisee of Pharisees. He was so uh, particular about how he did this that uh, he says, as far as I am concerned, there is not a single law I broke. Now that compared to the Pharisees who would plot murder on the Sabbath. These are his... his uh, uh, colleagues, so to speak, and Paul outdoes them because he would not contemplate murder on the Sabbath 
because he was very strict to this. If the law said don't do it, he didn't do it. And he's saying, basically, as far as my ability to judge is concerned, there is nothing in the law that I have intentionally broken, knowingly broken. He's not trying to say that he's perfect. He's just trying to say, if I knew the law said this, I didn't do it. Is, is, uh, from all the things that he's written, all the things that are going on, along, which certainly tells us that the law cannot save us. If it couldn't save Paul, he didn't going to save anyone else because he kept it pretty well. He's a born-again believer, been called up into heaven. If God wanted to rebuke him on anything, he certainly could have. And he's saying here, after all those experiences, as far as the law was concerned, I was blameless. And that's... Uh, it's one thing if you're a Pharisee saying that. This is uh, Paul as a spirit-filled believer with a good relationship with God saying that as far as the law is concerned, I was blameless. And now I stand and am judged for the hope of the promise. Now I stand and am judged for the hope of the promise made by God to our fathers. So it was the fathers who brought this, this part of it, who had the promise. God gave them the promise that this is what would be going on this is this is where we would what we would have he says now i stand and am judged for the hope of the promise made by god to our fathers verse uh, seven to this promise our 12 tribes earnestly serving god night and day hope to attain for this hope's sake king agrippa i am accused by the jews so he's bringing this back around to the fact that they're standing there before the roman leaders on a jewish matter and that will tell rome kick us out we, we don't need to do this. This is all that they have against me is that um, I believe in what God promised our fathers has come about now, and they don't. So this is a promise, and he's saying to a person who is familiar with the Old Testament, this is the promise that came to our fathers. We all know that God promised the Messiah would come. I believe he's here. That he's already come. He's died, resurrected, and gone on. They don't. That's why I'm here. And so that's making it real easy for them to say, we're here to judge a religious matter. We don't do that. And Paul says, I know. <laughs> that's basically what he's trying to say to the, to the king here. To this promise, our 12 tribes earnestly serving God night and day hope to attain. For this hope's sake, King Agrippa, I am accused by the Jews. Why should it be thought incredible by you that God raises the dead? Now, he's saying this to King Agrippa because, again, he is familiar with the Old Testament. How many people were raised from the dead in the Old Testament? Two. There were two. Elijah. Uh, Elijah did the, the one. And um, well, uh, Samuel and Elisha. I think it was. No, it was Elijah. Elijah and, and Samuel was the other one. When the boy died at the house that he was staying at, he went in. He gave the staff to his uh, servant. Servant went on ahead thought that was that didn't uh, Samuel had didn't he have a place that he stayed no, no that one was Elijah what was it who was the uh, second one then yeah, I don't there's two of them that are in there I just one. did Elijah do one too yeah okay I was thinking one of them was Samuel but there are two of them okay. so if he was reading he knew that in the Old Testament mm -hmm. there were two people who got raised from the dead so he's saying it's not surprising for you that people would be raised from the dead because you're familiar with the Old Testament. It is surprising for some of the folks in our, our Jewish uh, group here. <laughs> Again, this is not a matter that Rome needs to decide. This is, uh, this is a matter for the Jewish people. 
So they were judged for the hope of the, the promise. He's saying, I don't want to be judged for the hope of the promise. Not here in this court. This is not where it should be going on. So in verse 9, why, verse 8, Why should it be thought incredible by you that God raises the dead? Indeed, I myself thought I must do many things contrary to the name of Jesus of Nazareth. This I also did in Jerusalem, and many of the saints I shut up in prison, having received authority from the chief priests, and when they were put to death, I cast my vote against them. So he's shown them here, this persecution of the church, I'm not new to. I was part of it. I grew up as a Jew. I grew up around Jerusalem. I grew up with the Pharisees. I became a Pharisee. I was the best of the Pharisees. I persecuted this church. I persecuted those who followed after Jesus. He says, I punished them often in every synagogue and compelled them to blaspheme. Now, he's talking about the name of Jesus, not God. They would blaspheme the name of Jesus. And being exceedingly enraged against them, I persecuted them even to foreign cities. Mostly, we went over this before, when he gave his testimony before, that most folks just went around uh, Judea. Paul said, I went beyond that. I went to other foreign cities, and the particular one in Damascus, I went to places, if there were Jewish people in other cities worshiping Jesus, I went after them. That's how zealous I was. <laughs> and we saw in his other account, too, that he not only went after the men, he went after the men, women, and children. Most of them just went after the men. They left the women and children alone, not Paul. Paul went after them all, because whatever he did, he did with everything he had. And he had received authority from the chief priest. Now, this is real important because he's, he's showing to King Agrippa, these f people here that are accusing me had actually authorized me to go after these people. But when I got born again, now they want to authorize you to kill me. So he's showing them this is not a matter for Rome. This is why he's laying all this out. In verse 12, while thus occupied, he's occupied in thinking about all the people he's going to get at in Damascus. <laughs> As I journeyed to Damascus with authority and commission from the chief priest at midday, O king, along the road, I saw a light from heaven brighter than the sun. Now he goes at midday. When is the sun the brightest? Midday. He's saying at midday when the sun is the brightest, there was a light that came that outshone the sun. That's intense. At midday, O king, along the road, I saw a light from heaven brighter than the sun shining around me and those who journeyed with me. I'm not the only one who saw it. There were people who went along with me and they saw the same light. We're in a court. This is really only a hearing. This is, he's not really presenting his case. That's why the king just said, go ahead and talk. And Paul is. It's more of a hearing than it is a trial. But he's basically saying in the hearing, I have this evidence. If you want it, I can pull these people in and they will testify they saw the light. And when he had fallen to the ground, I heard a voice speaking to me and saying in the Hebrew language... We have a God who speaks Hebrew. <laughs> of course we do. He speaks all the different languages that are out there. There is not a language that he could not speak. He said, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? It is hard for you to kick against the goads. So I said, who are you, Lord? He said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. He does not say Jesus Christ. He does not say Jesus the Messiah. He does not say any, any of the, he does not refer to his deity at all. He simply uses the name of Jesus. This is the one that Paul's after. Paul's after the human Jesus, not a deity Jesus. And so this is coming from God in, in heaven. This is where the voices come from. We've got the light, everything shining around. And he says, I am Jesus. He identifies himself by the human name. 
I am Jesus whom you are persecuting. But rise and stand on your feet, for I have appeared to you for this purpose. Here is the purpose. Paul has one of the longest purposes you will ever see dictated by God. Most of the time it's short. Deliver my people. Teach my people faith. Things like this. But Paul gets probably, as far as I know in the Word of God, it is the longest purpose God ever gave. Look at what it is. But Paul knows it. He memorized it. He has gone over this. And when you see what all that God says to him, you're going to see why it was so important for Paul to, to have this down. So he says, I appeared to you for this purpose, to make you a minister and a witness both of the things which you have seen and of the things which I will yet reveal to you. What he has seen is going on here on the road to Damascus. You're going to tell of these things. What happened in Paul's past life, God does not care about. He's not there to testify the things he's seen in the past. Paul's life starts today. The things you have seen dictate the time on the... Because what interaction has he had with God up until now? He's learned the Word. He knows the Word better than anybody in his day. And God's going to eventually teach them all that he has learned, what it actually means. But he's going to go on and testify of, of all the things he did. Now, he sometimes alludes to the fact that he persecuted Christians, but he testifies of this Damascus Road experience. He tells the details of it. He brings out all the, the interactive, the light, the voice, the sounds, the people, all that comes out. So he is testifying of this. To make you a minister and a witness, both of the things which you have seen and of the things which I will yet reveal to you. So he's given him a promise. Paul, I'm going to reveal some things to you and you are going to testify. You are going to be a witness of these things. You are going to become a minister for these things. I will deliver you from the Jewish people as well as from the Gentiles to whom I now send you. Now that's a mouthful right there. He says, I will deliver you from the Jewish people. Every time that Paul is in a riot, what do you think he's thinking about? This promise that he got from God. I will deliver you from the Jewish people. I will deliver you from the Gentiles, of whom I now send you. He's sent to the Gentiles. He will interact with the Jews on the way. But God says, I will deliver you from the Jews, and I will deliver you from the Gentiles, of whom I now send you. God sent him to the Gentiles on the road to Damascus. And yet, how many times do we see him enter into a city and start with the Jews? He started in the synagogue. After a while, when they got him pretty much kicked out of all the, the, the synagogues, he just started with, he just went to the Jews. In fact, one time he, he or went to the Gentiles. He even said, all right, I'm done with you guys. I'm going, I, I tried with you all. Now I'm just going to the, to the Gentiles. And so he went out there. But here's what God says, of to whom I now send you. So God is saying, I'm sending you to the Gentiles, but he's not ready yet, is he? To open their eyes in order to turn them from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God, that they may receive forgiveness of sins and an inheritance among those who are sanctified by faith in me. To open their eyes in order to turn them from darkness to light. We want to open their eyes. They're in darkness, but they don't know it. This is the Jewish people, the Gentile people are in darkness but they think they are in light. Now, light is a powerful thing. There are all types of light that are around. We have right now, we're under fluorescent light. 
And under fluorescent light, certain colors look a certain way. You can get uh, different fluorescent bulbs. You can get daylight bulbs. You can get bright ones. You can get all, all different kinds of, of ones that are out there. There are incandescent bulbs, and incandescents will put a different light on beside that. Uh, there is sunlight. If you take the same object out into the sunlight and put it under fluorescent lights, it's going to look different to you. We, um, I think I mentioned it to you before. We did an upgrade on the fish tank that we have. The biggest upgrade that people see when they walk in is that there's more water. But the biggest upgrade on the tank is the light. We changed the whole lighting system out. I got a used one off of a guy who was uh, selling one. And uh, it is, I mean, it's, it's a couple of versions old, but it is the best light that you can get. And they hardly cost anything to run anymore because they're LEDs. And so you don't have to buy new bulbs from every year. They, they last forever. And, but they, when we turn them on, and they're so intense that actually uh, they're programmed to uh, acclimate your tank over a four-week period. So every day they up them 1% until they get to the full 100% of whatever it is that you send them at. And I only send them to go at 50%. They have a whole lot more that they can do. But from the first time we put them on, the rocks that were in the tank before that are in this tank now, we're seeing colors on them we didn't see. The, le- the, the corals and the anemones that are in there, there's colors on them we didn't see before. They were always there. But it's the light that brings it out. It's the biggest upgrade we did on the tank is the light. You put, under the, you put the right light under a thing, and it will illuminate it. It will bring it about. And, um, and that's what he's saying. You need to take them from darkness. They don't know they're in darkness. They think that this is all there is. And, and there's not. There's a, there's a whole lot more. We're looking forward to some of the things we can have fun with this light. This light, actually, you can program a thunderstorm. And you can have a thunderstorm in the tank. And uh, uh, it actually follows a thing where it, it mimics where the sun rises. And it will start the sunrise on this side of the tank and move the sunrise over to this. And so... <laughs> And the sunset does the same thing. It, uh, it moves it around. It's just, it, it's neat. To, it's not on or off. There are thousands of stages of on. And it, it accomplishes them all throughout the day. And it's just, uh, it's, it's real fun to, to be able to watch it and to see it all, all go. Every day the, that you go, every time of the day that you go, there's different lights that are on, different type of lights, and it brings out other different colors that you wouldn't see at other, other times of the day. This is what people have to understand. They're looking at things in the light that they have. They're understanding it the best that they can, but they don't have any more light than that. What God is saying is, Paul, I'm going to reveal some things to you, and you're going to go out and you're going to reveal them to others. You're going to give them more light. When they have that more light, they're going to be able to understand. But he says it this way, to open their eyes in order to turn them from darkness to light. They're in darkness. They're staying in darkness. You've got to get them turned away from it. It's amazing how many believers are turned on to darkness. You listen to them talk, and you hear the ignorance of, in their voice of all the things that are going on around them. Well, I thank God. I don't thank God. And Well, it doesn't matter what you think about God. What did he say? <laughs> what did he reveal? Get yourself on to, to the light. It's a, I just get shocked so many times how much ignorance people spout with their mouth and think it's light. As soon as the light turns on, you realize, man, that was ignorant. That was stupid. I can't believe I did that sort of thing. Brother Hagin used to tell us, he said, uh, uh, you know, he looks back on some of the things he taught before, and he says, dear God, it's amazing you to tell me to get out of the rain. 
Because you, you, you think of what ignorance you had before compared to what you had. Now, you did the best you could with what you had then, but boy, when you get into the light, and you've got to keep pressing into the light because there's always more light. If you are not pressing into the light, you will go to the darkness. It's a, I don't know why that is, but people are drawn to the darkness. Bugs are drawn to light. People are drawn to darkness. And we just tend, tend to go that way. You look at how many Christians are satisfied with darkness. Well, I don't think God will do that. Well, I don't necessarily need to know all those things. Yes, you do. But they don't think so. To open their eyes. What God is going to give to Paul, the purpose of it, is to open the eyes of those that he would, he would give it to. Now, how many, people did it, how many people's eyes did it open? We saw some. They were opened wide right away. Some opened their eyes later on, and some turned themselves off to it, started riots, tried to kill Paul. And, and they will. If they sense a, that there's a, a light there and they're in darkness and they want to stay in darkness, they will kill you. It still is true today. People, the forces that are in the darkness of this world, will kill those who bring light. Prefer to kill them as to let them be alive. They will find a way to shut you up. See, people, that Paul never went around trying to shut anybody up. The light never has to put out darkness. Never has to. Never has to go around. Paul never had to go around and, and start lambasting all the people that were against. He never had to do it. He just went out and preached the light. But the people who preached the other things constantly came against Paul. It's really easy for you to see. What source are they from? You can always tell. And from the power of Satan to God. When we are of the, the darkness, we are of the power of Satan. It doesn't matter if they're in the church or out of the church. If you are of the darkness, you are of the power of Satan because God is light. And in him is how much darkness? No darkness at all. If we are in darkness, we are of Satan. That part of us is of Satan. You don't get darkness from God. It's a hard thing for Christians to grab hold of. And you try and tell some of the ones that are in darkness that you won't get very far. From the power of Satan to God, that they may receive forgiveness of sins, that they may receive. See, God wants them to receive, but they have to receive it. He won't push it on them. That they may receive forgiveness of sins and an inheritance among those who are sanctified by faith in me. God's concerned with two things. One, that they receive the forgiveness of sins. That puts them in a position. And the two, they, uh, they have an inheritance among those who are sanctified. He wants them to receive that. I want you to receive the inheritance. Not just being... Freed from sin. I want you to receive the inheritance. Two things. And this is in the purpose of Paul. Which means in all of Paul's epistles, there are two purposes that will be accomplished in our life. One, forgiveness of sins. And two, an inheritance. Remember the prayers that he prayed in the Ephesians? It's important. It's, it's because this is what God gave him. God gave him this word. This is what you're going to do. This is what I'm going to do. And he said, I will make you. He then said, I will deliver you. That they may receive. That they may, he, and, and he's going to uh, even reveal things to them for the purpose Paul will go out that they would become receivers. Because God will not push it on them. We must receive whatever it is we're going to have from God. We've got to receive it. So this is a long word, a long promise, but Paul hung on every word. And Paul went through a lot of stuff. And there's always a, something in this word that he can go back to. If he's facing persecution from the Jews, 
Father God, you said you'd deliver me from the Jews. When the folks from the, over in Ephesus who were heathens, who were selling idols, they got mad, got mad at Paul. God, you would deliver me from them as well. And God did. God delivered them from each one. One time he was even stoned. Left for dead. As far as we know, he was dead. God delivered him from that. He got back up and went back on into the city. <laughs> the most of us probably would have left. So this whole word that he had would speak to him on many occasions. Uh, he was writing letters. I'm sure that he probably even wrote this down at some point so he didn't, wouldn't forget it. He went over it and over it and over it. And he doesn't have to look at the paper anymore. He's able to recite it off to King Agrippa. He was able to recite it off in the previous ones as well. It was important to him. Verse 19, Therefore, King Agrippa, I was not disobedient to the heavenly vision. He says, King Agrippa, what can I do? I'm on my way to Damascus to kill Christians like these guys want me to do. And I was stopped by a bright light. I was given this word. And I changed. What would you have done? <laughs> if God stopped you on the road and said, Paul, why are you persecuting me? What would you have done? Therefore, King Agrippa, I was not disobedient to the heavenly vision. I may have been disobedient to them, but I was not disobedient to the heavenly vision. Again, King Agrippa, do you wish to decide between whether I should obey the Jewish leaders or the heavenly vision I have? What would they say? Not, it's not our matter. It's not our jurisdiction. And again, he's bringing them back to this, this thing. What I'm on trial for is not in your jurisdiction. What they're challenging me for, what they are bringing me to you for, it's not under your jurisdiction. He's, he's making this case really, really strong. It just sounds like a good speech. And it is a good speech. But he is, keeps bringing it back to the fact that what I'm here for, you guys never decide. You don't want to decide. You don't need to decide. It isn't in your, it's not in your uh, jurisdiction. But declared first to those in Damascus. So he took the heavenly vision. He took the purpose of the ad. And, and he was there in Damascus. So he went on there and we, we heard the stories. He declared it first in Damascus. And then he went from Damascus over to Jerusalem. He declared it there. And of course, they wanted to kill him in Damascus. They wanted to kill him in Jerusalem. <laughs> and throughout all the region of Judea. And then to the Gentiles. That they should repent. Well, he eventually leaves Judea and he goes over to Antioch. And from Antioch is where he gets sent out to the Gentile cities. And that's where, where he goes. That they should repent, turn to God, and do works befitting repentance. What would Rome have with a problem with that? That they should repent, turn to, repent, turn to God, and do works befitting repentance. Well, whether they do or not, it's, it's not their call. It's not their, their thing. Now, I didn't mention this before, but King Agrippa, uh, you remember who uh, Beatrice is? It, it's, it's, his, uh, uh, his, it's his sister. And uh, right now, the, the thought is that they're kind of uh, carrying on a relationship. But Paul still speaks very respectfully of him, even though all these kind of things, all these are, are circling around about them. Therefore, I was, he says, I was not disobedient to the heavenly vision. I did what God said to do. Uh, and he can say that, and it doesn't interfere with his case because it's not for them to decide. And they know that. And they don't want to be part of that. Rome has certain things that they want to be a part of and they have certain things they do not want to be a part of. And this is one of the things they do not want to be a part of. And they're very good at staying out of those things that they don't want to be a part of. That's why their empire lasted so long. So he says in verse 21, For this reason the Jews seized me in the temple and tried to kill me. For this reason. And you guys want to have a hand in this? 
No, you don't. This is not your, this is not anything that you want to do. But for this reason, the Jews seized me in the, in the temple. Again, we know the story. He was in the temple, finishing up the, the, uh, the rite that they were doing. And they came in, took him, and they hauled him outside and tried to kill him. Therefore, having obtained help from God, we all thought it was the Romans. Right? The Roman guy came on in and pulled Paul, Paul out of the, the group. Paul doesn't recount it that way. He says, therefore, having obtained help from God. Well, he just testified. God said, I'm going to deliver you from the Jews and I'm going to deliver you from the Gentiles. God can send help in all kinds of ways. Therefore, having obtained help from God, to this day I stand, witness both to small and great, saying no other things than those which the prophets and Moses said would come. He says, I haven't said a single thing that Moses wouldn't agree with, that the prophets wouldn't agree with. Everything I have said, they have said. But the chief priests don't like it when I say it. It was okay when Moses said it. It's okay when the prophets said it. But I'm saying it, and they're getting upset. Again, not something that Rome needs to have their hand in. And this is uh, what the prophets and Moses said would come. That the Christ would suffer. That he would be the first to rise from the dead. And would proclaim light to the Jewish people and to the Gentiles. That he would suffer. Well, we saw that he suffered. That he would be the first to rise from the dead. Which means, if you're the first, there's going to be a second, a third, a fourth. There's going to be more. He's the first. We're the ones that are going to follow in that. So he's just reiterating. He is the first to rise from the dead. And would proclaim light to the Jewish people and to the Gentiles. Now, as he thus made his defense, Festus said with a loud voice. If you say something with a loud voice, you are speaking over something. Right? If you said it with a quiet voice, you don't have to speak over anything. He's speaking it with a loud voice. And Luke makes note of this, because Luke's here in the audience, and he hears it. What he's basically saying is, Festus lost patience with Paul. Paul asked for patience. He's going to lay this whole thing out. And Festus lost his patience. He said with a loud voice, Paul, you are beside yourself. Much learning is driving you mad. <laughs> of course, that's the way of the world. We see it today. If you don't understand what's going on, try and put it down in some way. Try and put the people down in some way. Try and compromise them in, in some way. Paul, you are beside yourself. Much learning is driving you mad. Now, he has not known Paul all that well. He may be called talking about his history because Paul had a lot of education. Maybe it might be that in a time that he's known him that the guards are always reporting that he's studying because I'm sure that that's what Paul was doing. He's probably studying the, the scriptures. He's writing letters. So he's doing stuff like that. Don't know which one he's referring to, but Paul, you are beside yourself. Much learning is driving you mad. Now, what did Paul say that sounds like a madman? Not a single thing. <laughs> Except that he says, I have witnesses. He says, I have witnesses. And if you want, we'll call them. This is a hearing. I'm declaring that I have these people. I can go get them. He says, you are beside yourself. Much learning is driving you mad. Paul comes back. But he said, I am not mad. Most notable Festus. He still speaks to him respectfully, even though Festus has interrupted Paul and stopped his discourse. But speak the words of truth and reason. And really, he is. He's, he hasn't spoken anything that's untrue, anything that can't be proved. And he's certainly been very reasonable. Maybe they don't 
like it or agree with it. Certainly Festus doesn't. He, there's no really reason to think that he would. But again, he's speaking to Agrippa. He's kind of bypassing Festus. He's going after the king, King Agrippa. For the king before whom I speak freely knows these things. Now that freely could mean a couple of things. One, he hasn't interrupted me. <laughs> I kind of think it's along those lines. Uh, Festish, you're not letting me speak freely, but the king is letting me speak freely. He's being quiet here and just letting me go on and, and present the whole, the whole case here. He says, I am not mad, most notable Festus, but speak the words of truth and reason. For the king before whom I speak freely knows these things, for I am convinced that none of these things escape his attention since this thing was not done in the corner. Jesus was not crucified in the corner. All the stuff that went on around it, the resurrection of Jesus was not done in a corner. We had to pay off soldiers who, had a, who were going to say, his disciples came and took them. All that, this, this was not done in a corner. This was done, all the kingdom knew what was happening. He says, King Agrippa, you are very much in tune what's happening in your kingdom. This did not go by without you taking note. I'm telling you some of the other parts of their, uh, uh, that are in the story that you already had been a part of. And he goes on, King Agrippa, do you believe the prophets? I know that you do believe. So he's saying, that, do, you, do you believe? I know that you believe them. I know that you believe the prophets. And so what Paul is doing here is since Festus has interrupted him, he stopped, presented all that, and he's, uh, he's being a salesman now. Now in sales, you have what's called a closer, closing line. This is, I mean, you can sell, 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 but until you close the deal, you've got nothing. You've got to close the deal. When we were selling cars, they would tell us things like this. If you want to close a person on buying a car, and if you go out there to buy a car, they're going to do this to you. He says, you never ask them, do you want to buy the car or not? That's too big of a decision. You simply say things like, do you like it in blue or do you like it in red? Because <laughs> choosing the color is an easier decision than buying a car. And eventually you get a lot of these little things going along, along the way and pretty soon people say, I think I bought a car. I'm not sure. <laughs> but you see, he gets them to close on the, on the easier statements, on the easier things to decide. And you know, if you were going to take this car, would you take it in blue or would you take it in red? If you were going to take this car, would you take it with this feature? Okay, okay. Uh, of the cars that you drove, did you like this one better than this one? Yeah, I like that one better. All right, well, well let's just see if we can... You don't have to buy it just now. Just to see if we can get your uh, the numbers. And this is the, the big one we'd always do. If we can get the numbers to work for you, if we can get this car into the payment that you want to have, would you? Because we we love payment as a seller. You love payment buyers. Don't ever go out to buy a car with a payment in mind. You will be had. You are defenseless. You cannot go out as a payment buyer. Because all they want to do is they, they want to get you focused on one area, or not, either the, the selling price of the car, that's not as good of a place to, to be, or mostly the, the payment. If we can get you down into a $300 payment for that car, would you drive it home today? And you're thinking, you're never going to get that down to a $300 payment. There's no way. <laughs> all right. Uh, sure, if you can get it down to a $300 payment, and you, they'll go away and they'll come on back and they'll say, well, we worked really hard on this. You know, we got it down to like 350 uh, do you think, would you let $50 decide to stand between you and, well, I would love to, but I just can't do the 350 I said, all right, let me go on back. Uh, tell you what, could you go 325 You know, 
really like that car. Because while, while they were gone, you would think about it. I could drive that car for $300 or <laughs> whatever the number they came up with. It was, you never thought you could get that car for, for the oh, $325. You know, I could probably find $25 and somewhere. And so pretty soon now you're moved up to $325, and they come on back. And say, I, I couldn't quite get it to $325, but I got them to $330. Would you let $5 stand in the way between you and that car? $330? See, that, and they keep moving you on up. And then after they get done that, then, you know, of course, then there's the extended warranty. Mm-hmm. Was, well, you don't have to take the extended warranty, but if you want the peace of mind, mm-hmm. <laughs> and, you know, pretty soon you're, you're driving out of there with a car at $370 payment. <laughs> <laughs> but you start off on the $300. That's what it is. They get you to close in different spots. They get it to be a, a softer close. This is what Paul's doing. Paul is working his closing line. Mm-hmm. He's working on bringing King Agrippa to a place of decision. Will you decide to, to serve Christ? I know that you believe the prophets. I know that you know about the prophets. I know you know about the Jewish religion. I know you know about the things that are going on there. Uh, will you decide for Christ now? Well, he's in display. Everybody's here to see King Agrippa. He's not going to make this decision in front of everybody. Paul doesn't care who he's in front of. <laughs> Paul made his decision in front of all the people they're on the way to Damascus with, with a bright light shining on his face. Then, King, then, the, then Agrippa said to Paul, You almost persuade me to become a Christian. So he's kind of trying to push this off. And Paul said, I would to God that not only you, but also all who hear me today, that's everybody in the room, all the dignitaries, all the important people of the city, all the folks that are there, might become both, uh, might become both almost and altogether such as I am except for these chains. He says, I don't wish these chains on anybody, but I wish them to have everything else that I've got. When he had said these things, the king stood up as well as the governor and Bernice and those who sat with them. So he's going to call an end to this. And this is his, his polite way of calling an end to it. Paul has not closed it. Paul has not shut it down. Neither has King Agrippa. He just gets up. That's it. And as he gets up, then Bernice gets up. And when he and Bernice get up, then everybody else gets up. Because the king rises, you rise. <laughs> and so everybody else is getting up. And then he just kind of uh, moves on out of the room. It's getting a little uncomfortable in here. Paul brought a king to a place of being uncomfortable. And he's the man in chains. Isn't that amazing? Now, for all the things that were said about Paul, should he have gone to Jerusalem? But did he miss God in going to Jerusalem because of all the prophecies and all the things that were made and all the things that were said? And we saw that some of those prophecies were in error. They were not correct. And God, when God gives a prophecy, how much of it is correct? 100% correct. And the most notable prophecy we had said that the Jews will bind the man who owns this belt. The Jews did not. The Romans did. The Jews tried to kill him. The Romans bound him to save him. And so the prophecy was off. But still a lot of people look at Paul. He missed it. He shouldn't have gone there. Nothing good came from it. Nothing good with the Jewish people. But he's already testified to many of the leaders that are in this place and to the king. And this king probably wouldn't have paid any attention to any other preacher who came through the town. But he did on this case. Because Festus had asked him about it because it intrigued him. He heard about this case. And he says, yeah, let's, let's go ahead and hear this. And Paul is able to give him the gospel. And tries to bring him to a point of decision. He gets uncomfortable and gets up and he leaves. <laughs> so here's the controversial part that sets up the next chapter. And when they had gone aside, 
they talked among themselves, saying, This man is doing nothing deserving of death or chains. So they're saying, he, he Not only does he not deserve to die, he should not be in chains. This man should be free. There is nothing of which they have accused him of that is in our court, that's in our jurisdiction. Paul has done a masterful job of showing them. They have this, they have this uh, disagreement with me, but it has nothing to do with you guys, and I shouldn't be here in front of Rome. Then Agrippa said to Festus, this man might have been set free if he had not appealed to Caesar. I heard people when I'm going through college and things like that, I heard people all the time picking on Paul. He missed it getting into here in Jerusalem, and he missed it by appealing to Caesar. No. God said, you're gonna, you are going to appear before me at Rome. You're going to appear before Caesar. He's not getting anywhere here. He's stuck. They just keep putting him back in prison and bringing him back out. Putting him back in prison and bringing him back out. Let's hear it again. He, the guy before was waiting for a payoff. He never got it. Festus is trying to clean up the things that were left behind. And uh, he's having a hard time with this case too. In fact, you remember what he said to Agrippa? I need to send him on to Rome because he appealed to Caesar. But I need to write a letter to state his, uh, his, uh, what, what, his accusations, what he's accused of. And I'm having a hard time with it. So maybe you can hear and we can work this out. Well, Agrippa's no help at all because Agrippa comes out here and says, there's nothing to put in the letter. There is nothing to put in the letter. This man has done nothing wrong, nothing deserving of death and nothing deserving of chains. This man might have been set free if he had not appealed to Caesar. And that is not a testimony against Paul. It's a testimony against Agrippa, against Festus, against these folks, because they do not have the guts to do what they should. They should have let Paul go. And they don't have the guts to do it. They are all afraid of the Jews. So they won't let them go. So Paul appeals to Caesar to get out of this court system and to get in another. And it's going to work. He's going to go before Caesar. He's going to hear the case and he's going to dismiss it. And Paul's going to be set free. And Paul's going to have another missionary journey. He's going to end up back in prison eventually. And eventually they will kill him. But um, not, on, not on this case. He is going to go on up there and he's, he's going to do it. But here's the problem. He's appealed to Caesar. And Festus already said, you've appealed to Caesar, to Caesar you shall go. When he gets to Caesar, Caesar's the main guy in the land. It's not like it is here. If Caesar says, I don't like you, you die. That's it. That's it. They take you out, they cut your head off. All he has to do is not like you. Because at this point, you look at some of the persecutions going on, Caesars are beginning to be looked at as gods. If they don't like you, you're gone. We don't need a court. We don't need a decision. I don't need trial lawyers and stuff. If I don't like you, take them out and kill them. That's all there is to it. And so these guys know if we are wasting Caesar's time and we send this case up to him and he sees we have wasted expense traveling him all the way up to Rome, we have wasted Caesar's time, we have wasted our time, we have spent how many years on this thing for nothing, Caesar is going to think we don't know what we're doing. They are scared. Festus was scared. The previous guy, he was scared. Agrippa is saying, man, I don't know what you're going to write in there, but <laughs> there is nothing that you can write. And this sets up what is coming in the next one. The next one is the shipwreck. And most times we look at the shipwreck and we think that Satan is trying to get Paul, but certainly he is. It is a very 
very supernatural storm. But the fact that they are in the storm has nothing to do with Satan. You're going to look at, we're going to, you're going to see it in the scriptures once we get it down. There is something completely different going on here that Paul is facing. And I don't even know if Paul's aware of it at the time that it's going on. But after we get on through the next chapter, you're going to be able to see it, that there, is a, there are some things that are being set up. Paul is not just facing the wrath of Satan. He's not just facing the wrath of the Jews. He's not just facing the court system of the Romans. There is something else that is up that comes up and creates what is going on. All the evidence is there. Luke has given us all of the evidence for what Paul is up against here. But it's just not spelled out. To where you, but all the evidence is there. All you got to do is put all the pieces together and you'll see it. So we're going to pick that up here next time. And we're going to look at the, uh, the, the shipwreck. But we're looking uh, here, finishing this off. God will bring about what he says. God will bring about what he says. God said Paul would testify before kings, and he has. Still going to be a Caesar, he's going to do. God said he would testify before Caesar, and he will. God said that he would go to Rome, and he will. God said, I will deliver you from the Jewish people as well as from the Gentiles. And he did and will continue to do it. Now, what you're going to see here when we get into the shipwreck story is something very similar to the life of Jesus. Jesus says, let us go to the other side. And in the midst of that, a huge storm came up and tried to take the, the, the ship down, which Jesus stood up on the bow of the ship and said, peace be still. And the, the storm uh, went away and they went on to the to the other part. But he turned to his disciples and he said to them, where is your faith? Why are you afraid? Because why? Because Jesus said, let us go to the other side. What has God said to Paul? You will testify at Rome. Which means he is going to Rome. Now when you see what happens in this next chapter, it is shocking if you thought the trip across the Galilee was a battle, you have no idea. What Jesus faced on the Sea of Galilee pales in comparison to what Paul will face on this trip. This is the biggest, one of, one of the biggest battles in the New Testament. Closest thing in the Old Testament you can come to this is Daniel. Three weeks waiting for that answer to come. You're going to see a battle in here in which... It is not just Satan's kingdom that is against Paul. It is a whole lot more. And so we'll get into that in the next chapter. So it's, it's a fun chapter. It's not something that uh, we always get in all the details. But this is the chapter that sets it up. You've got to know what happened in this chapter in order to understand what happens in this next one. And uh, what he has done before Agrippa and the defense he, is, he has given us. This is why Luke puts all this detail. This is a whole lot of detail. We've had him testify a couple of times. There's a reason for it. We are setting up chapter 27. And you're going to see a battle, not only in the heavens, but in a whole lot of other places. And the, 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 there's a lot more lives in the line than just Paul's. And it's amazing what, peop, what men... Well, you're going to see some sides of men. You're going to see some sides of the Satan's kingdom. And uh, out of all this, Paul just shines. <laughs> they cannot put a, anything out with, with Paul. Paul just, he just signs. So there's a lot of things uh, 
in, in the next chapter that you may not know about that come from the uh, Roman way. And we'll show out some of those. You're going to look into some of the things that are on the boats because Paul is not on one boat. Paul is on a couple of boats. There's a reason why he's on a couple of boats. And we'll show you why that, that all is. But Father, we thank you that everything that you say in your word, you bring about. The promises that you have given us in your written word will come about. And you will move everything to make that happen. This next chapter that's coming up, Father, we're going to see the forces that you have at play and what you can move aside to get done what you said you're going to do. You told Paul, as you have testified here for me in Jerusalem, so you will do in Rome. And everything tries to get him to not make it. But you cut through it all and you get him there. Father, we thank you. And we have that same God working for us. That no matter what it is that comes against us, what you said in your word, you will do. What you spoke to us, you will accomplish. For your word never falls idly by without accomplishing what you set out for it to accomplish. Help us to keep that in mind. And just as Paul kept all these words in mind with all the things that he faced, we need to keep these words in mind for all that we face. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.